Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. That's right, I'm back, sort of, kind of, maybe. I'll let you decide how you judge today's episode, because if you're a longtime fan, if you've been with me from the beginning, there's going to be some repeats here, because that's right. 45 episodes in, we're already there, my friends. It's already a clip show. What is this, an AD sitcom? Uh, but I'm giving myself a little buffer here, and the truth is, I, I, I pretty much needed a couple weeks off and a, a couple weeks hiatus, but the podcaster in me, uh, the podcast consultant in me, the one, the same thing I tell my clients, you don't want to miss a week. You don't want to miss a week. You always want to show up every week. So even though I've kind of needed to take a little time away from actually sitting down and recording interviews, uh, I still am taking the time out to post something and get something up for you each Monday and give you a little update. Uh, I'm I'm also going to be updating my supporters, uh, my supporters all over on Patreon, subscriber on Rockfin. You'll all be getting a belated uh, but extensive edition of Mark's Monthly Musings, where I will talk about a little bit what's been going on in my personal life the last few weeks and what's been going on with the show. But rest assured, everything is fine. Everything is fine. The show is uh, very, very much alive and well, and uh, I have got a lot coming up in the next few weeks, a lot of great interviews planned, and I'm really excited about it. So stick around. But the truth is, looking at the numbers, there's a lot more of you here right now than there was when I started this show on October 31st on Halloween, on All Hallows Eve, Sam Hain, whatever you want to call it. Uh, when I started this show last year, uh, we have a lot more listeners than we did at that point. So I know there's a lot of interviews I did earlier on that a lot of you newer listeners may have missed. So I'm doing a little clip show. Like I said, I'm doing a best of the Mark Claire show. And I chose some of the best clips from some of the interviews that got the best response, both in terms of downloads, uh, as well as in terms of, uh, I, I kind of pulled some of the people over in the Telegram group. Again, come on, join the, the chat in the Telegram group. It's totally free to join. You don't even have to be a supporter of the show. Uh, of course, you can be a supporter of the show by finding the links to Patreon, Subscribestar, Rockfin, as well as the link to that Telegram group over at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Don't want you to forget my fantastic sponsors, the fantastic Mr. Fox, Stephen Fox, and his fine company, Fox & Sons Coffee. I start my day every single day with a big cup of Fox & Sons or two. Let's be honest here. Uh, I'm a Den Blend dark guy myself, but he's got so many different flavors, honey preps, pea berries, Brazilians, Mexicans. <laughs> this is not uh, this is not an immigration commercial. No, this is actually still a commercial for Fox and Sons. But he gets such a great variety of sourced beans, and they are fresh as all get out. My God, you got to check them out. If you haven't yet, my God, what are you doing? Head over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. Use that discount code MCS, MCS, think Mark Claire Show. Discount code MCS gets you 18% off your order. That being said, it is now time to get into the best of the Mark Claire Show, and the first clip comes at you from the very first episode of the show when I brought on Tony Merkel to this day. That is still cited as one of the best interviews on this podcast. And I definitely wanted to uh, bring Tony on to sort of highlight the very different direction I was going to be going in, even though I planned to circle back to politics uh, and that sort of thing a little bit, as I have recently. Uh, I did definitely want to set the tone that this was going to be a very different show than Lions of Liberty was. So that's why I brought on Tony Merkel, someone who I'd been following uh, for, for quite some time, really enjoying uh, his show. So this first clip is a little taste of some of the wild and crazy supernatural conversations and experiences that Tony has come into contact with, with through his podcast, the confessionals enjoy this clip from Tony Merkel. He, he tells me this long story. I'm going to just really kind of summarize a lot. Uh, but basically, uh, one night he is outside with his friend early morning and they are smoking cigarettes. Uh, he, they, they both see a UFO in the sky, a, a very bright light. He described it as it looked like stadium lights in the sky. Um, 
And so he sees it, doesn't really say anything. His friend sees it, and he's like, you see that? Yeah, I see it. Let's go see what what it is. Because he, he said it looked like it was about five minutes away, drive distance. So he doesn't have any shoes on, nothing like that. They get in the car. They start driving. Um, they drive for, let's just say, 45 minutes. They're not catching up to this thing. It's staying the same equal distance away from them. And they get out of the car uh, next to a cornfield, and they're just like, looking up at the sky. And he hears next to the cornfield some kind of growl in the cornfield. And so he's he's like, what the heck? And so he gets it, he gets in the car and they keep following the UFO. They're driving for an hour. And uh they get out of the car again and they're looking, and all of a sudden his friend, who he said was a very jolly kind of guy, uh, is like, get back in the car now. And so he jumps back in the car and he spins it around and he starts heading back to town. And he's like, I'm sorry I involved you in this. And he's like, What are you talking about? Involved me in what? And um, he proceeds to tell him this story about how when he was a teenager, I'd say probably like 12, 13 years old, uh, he had like a, like, like, like a lucid dream. And he was walking through this tunnel system and this tunnel system opened up in this, this big um, like throne room, cave looking uh, room. And in that room was an entity dressed in black recruiting him to come work for him. And uh, so he tells him this and he's like, I accepted the offer. And since then I've been working for this entity and I, I recently cut the entity off and that's him coming for me. And he's like, what? Like, he's like, he's like in the car. He's like, yo, dude, you're crazy. I thought we were just crazy, innocently man. chasing a UFO, like a normal, you know, normal yeah, uh, paranoid, <laughs> paranormal experience. You know, He's trying to figure out if he needs to take control of the wheel and turn his friend into the local hospital and stuff. And uh, and he he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And so um, he gives he gives his phone his friend gives him the his phone and he's like, here, call my girlfriend and uh, and just ask her if it's true and she'll tell you. And so uh, he calls her and he just all he says to her is, is it true? And she says, if you're asking me if it's true, it means he told you, yes, it's true. And he's like, what the heck? So they get back to the house and all of a sudden his friend gets out of the car and runs down the street, but he doesn't run down the street like a normal human being. He runs like Captain America speed running down the street. He says, just gone. And then he, he hears him go to the corner, uh, up the alley. And then he hears this like, like, like uh, something is being torn apart in a sense, like something's being killed. And then his friend comes walking back and he has this like black tarry substance all over him. And he like he, he what it seemed like his friend killed something. And he said that whatever that light was in the sky uh, sent something to come after my guest that was telling me this because his friend involved him in this by even bringing him on this this wild goose chase of this UFO. So he's just like, yo, this is crazy. I don't know what to make of this. Like, I just saw my friends do my friend do something that shouldn't be possible. Human super speed. Uh, he's telling me this crazy story, but this story is crazy. I shouldn't believe this, right? You know. And um, he starts asking his friend tons of questions over time, and he answers questions, but he's like, you know, listen, I don't want to keep telling you this stuff. Like, I don't have, I'm not going to keep answering these questions to you. Uh, so he gives him a book, and he's like, here, read this book. It was written about me. Everything in there is true. It's written as, as if it's fiction, but everything in, in that book is true. And uh, I'm talking to this guy on video like I am with you, and he's in his car, and he holds up the book, and he's like, this is the book he gave me. And I'm like, holy crap. Okay, so keep talking. Um, and he said he read through the book, and it details all this stuff, all this crazy wild stuff of how like his friend can go 
into this goes to this other world and he's highly involved in this other world and working for this other entity and um it, it's just like this this whole bizarre trip and um and so like he like he he has like this proof now and then apparently over time he's hanging out with his buddy and he meets some of the other friends well some of these other friends that of of his friend um they are in the book and so he would ask them he's like listen is is all this true and the, and most of them he said were very standoffish and they would just be like yeah it's true and they would just change the subject walk away kind of thing because it turns out his friend who introduced him to this whole topic had to recruit other people to come work for him in this other world and, and he taught his friends how to go to this other world just like he does and so I, I know it's this is like trippy, a, right? It's like um, so, we're, it's like uh, we got UFOs, maybe a Men in Black type thing, but then it's like now we got a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> you got to form your own team. Like, wow, a lot, right? Right. It, it's crazy. And so, like, it, but the, here's the thing. So, um, what you just said it, it is true in the sense that this whole storyline involves almost every piece of 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 the paranormal. Everything I've been doing for the last six years. It's like I feel like it's like the centerpiece of this whole big puzzle I've been trying to put together. Um, and so his his friend tells him that all that stuff. Uh, his girlfriend at one point was recruited by an entity. Uh, she said that, uh, and it wasn't in a lucid dream. She actually, um, I, I believe it wasn't a lucid dream, but she was actually approached by an entity named Baal, which a lot of people, if they study any kind of like biblical knowledge and things, there's a God named Baal. Well, this Baal character uh, recruited her. She said, no, she didn't want anything to do with it because she already knew about her boyfriend. The weird thing is, <laughs> if it's not weird already, um, the weird thing is uh, my guest, his brother, who he's not buddy buddy with they don't get along um starts telling him how he's having these weird dreams how he was being recruited by this entity and he described the same exact thing his friend told him and his friend and his brother aren't friends as, as far as he knows like they, they like like they don't know each other and so like he's tripping one night while he's in his basement he had his bedroom in the basement he hears his brother upstairs screaming bloody murder so he runs upstairs and uh, his brother's like, I just had a bad dream that these monkeys were coming after me. They're cutting my back up. Well, it turns out his brother's back was all cut up. And he's like, some, I don't know what Freddy to do with Kruger this. Right there, so he, yeah. So he, call, he calls, his, he calls his, uh, his friend who told him about all this stuff. And he's like, I don't know who else to call. So I called him. And his friend gets to the house like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Perfect time, right? Witching hour, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and he gets out of the car and he's like, listen, it's going to get really weird right now. I can help your brother, but it's going to get really weird right now. He's like, okay. And at that moment, he said his friend grew seven, eight inches. And uh, he said his eyes changed, he, his body changed. And then his friend looks at him and he's like, your friend will be your your friend will be back in a little bit. Until then, I'm here. And he's like, who, who are you? <laughs> like, and, and it turns out uh, it's not just lucid dreaming that you can access this world. You can do it instantaneously through having a counterpart that replaces you here. And uh, and so that tripped him out. But I say I bring this up because of this investigation I'm on. So uh his brother his th that whole thing happens his friend comes back and tells him listen i took care of things your brother's gonna be fine uh he's not gonna remember tonight and don't tell him about tonight or else he, it might undo what i did but those those entities are gonna leave him alone now 
Ooh, well, I would say that definitely set the tone. Uh, I, I really think it did. We're talking about entities. We're talking about shape-shifting. We're talking about all sorts of crazy interdimensional wild stuff. That was just a taste of that conversation with Tony Merkel. Again, if you missed it, that is episode one of this podcast. You can find it by going all the way back to this podcast feed, or you can check out the video version on YouTube, on BitChute, on Odyssey, on Rockfin. I'm everywhere. I, I make it easy for you, or at least I try my best. Uh, next up... A guy I wanted to get from the beginning of the show, guy whose podcast I've been listening to for years, Sam Tripoli of the Tin Foil Hat Podcast. Uh, despite the name of the podcast, he does not really make a mockery of conspiracies. He actually takes them quite seriously. And I, I thoroughly think Sam's approach is very similar to mine on Lions of Liberty, where I bring guests on and on, on this show as well, for that matter, where I bring guests on. And it's not I am looking to challenge them in terms of, you know, getting, you know, questioning their beliefs and getting them to sort of lay things out in a certain way. But I'm not looking to hammer them about anything. And I'm, I'm generally going to presume they're there in good faith and that they believe what they say to be true. And I give them the space to extrapolate on that. And I think Sam takes a very similar approach on his show, uh, Tinfoil Hat. Uh, so I wanted to get Sam on for the beginning. Thank you to Dave Smith, a fine young up and coming comedian who's 30 minute comedy special 30 minutes with Dave Smith. You should certainly check out for connecting me with Sam Tripoli. Great having Sam on. And this clip with Sam, we're talking a little bit about the sort of explosion of the conspiracy realm in terms of the podcast world and that sort of thing. And the alternative media in the last few years, especially with the rise of the Kuvi Woovy stuff, so to speak. And uh, how that really pushed people to many people to realize that a lot of the conspiracy stuff that they had in their minds had at least an element of truth to that. And uh, we discussed sort of how Sam's own journey has coincided with a lot of that wave. And he gets into a little bit of his own spiritual outlook on things. So enjoy this clip with Sam Tripoli from episode five. When you get deep enough into the conspiracy realm, particularly, and I, I think this is something that I saw and that I saw happening with a lot of people in the last couple of years is is realizing like it, the last couple of years, the COVID stuff, it was like conspiracy come to life. It was like you couldn't re if you were immersed in that world before, you couldn't really tell yourself maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's really not as evil as I thought you because you could always sort of tell yourself that before. Maybe. But after the last two years, it, you kind of had to stop saying that. And then once you realize that it's real in, in some kind of sense, then you can't help but just try to get to the bottom of it. And as you kind of were saying earlier, if you just look at profit, like that doesn't quite explain it. Like these guys are doing pretty good. Um, the only thing that really does explain it is evil is some kind of evil. And if there's evil, there's good. And that here you are. Now you're now you're in the spiritual the conversation. One hundred percent. And then you start just studying all these other things, the history of all religions. And you know, again, if you're, if you're a good person, worship whatever you want. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong or anything like that. But you study the, you know, how these religions came, who's behind them. Suddenly, the three Abrahamic religions have a book that's introduced that somewhat changed the trajectory of those religions. And go all three of them. And who are the people who inserted these books? Then you start, you know, you start taking a look at like the Bible and why certain stories are in it and why certain stories aren't. And the Bible's pretty made. The Quran, the Quran isn't the original Quran that they follow. The Quran is like, you know, the, the uh, Muhammad, right? It's like written 80 years after his passing. And then the Bible's written 300 years after Jesus. Then you get into the uh, Talmud and how that's introduced. And you're like, why is this? Babylonian oral history of the rabbis 
being and you just start study this stuff and then you start going okay who who are introducing these books and then you start asking these questions and then you start looking into things like black cubes and saturn worship and all this stuff and it all starts to click and then you start going even deeper and then you start seeing people talk about anunnaki but then that kind of lines up with like fallen angel stuff and then you start getting into like hold on there's something that well like was before christianity or judaism oh it's called hinduism Hinduism? Okay. Oh, there's something even beyond Hinduism called Vedic astrology? Oh, there's something even past that? The Zoro, Zoroasterism? And then you go all the way back to the, you know, Sumerians and all that stuff. And it just starts to get super. Then you start to study like, oh, history has been hidden from us. And you're like, why has history been hidden from us? And then you start to study that because then it starts to let us know that maybe we're not bacteria in sneakers on a rock hurling through space right and that there's actually some order to this and there's purpose to this and when we when we when we help others and we show love we vibrate and our we start to attract different people and it's it all starts to like things click where they never did before yeah and i think it's especially interesting when you when you're observing reality right now, when you've been observing the last couple of years and you see real time lies. Maybe that's almost the benefit of, of the Internet in some ways that maybe before it would take like five, ten years to find out some the truth behind something because some guy had to write a book and then some people had to share the book around. But now that you can see in real time, uh, especially with the covid narrative and all this stuff, it's like, oh, lie 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 and then you start to say well okay if they're real time lying to us and we're it's so obvious now why was i just believing like the all the history i just learned in school and then if then you're thinking well <laughs> like you've been kind of laying out so all of this and it doesn't mean it's one lie one lie one lie but if if last week is a lie then how the fuck am i supposed to know what 2000 years ago 6000 years ago or what have you but at the same time when you dive into this stuff too you do start to see the truths and the things that do stick out that that and again i guess this is where we all sort of form our our grand unifying theories as we go to see what what see what feels true to us in here what feels like yeah, a lie sure. and, I, and sorting that out is the and hard part then you start getting into like you know, just entities and interdimensionals. And then you start going, okay, are these, are these entities? Are these angels? What are they? And you go, what is the internet? Why is the internet here? What is the purpose of the internet? Why are they allowing the internet to operate? Why are they allowing it to operate and just destroy all their narratives and destroy their way of operating, which is to create, to create manifest us to allow them to do anything? Because the elites are like the movie um, The Lost Boys, right? At the end of The Lost Boys, where the vampire has to be invited in, for some reason, through this occult rituals, occult magic, whatever it is, their rule is they have to be allowed by us to do it. So they have to manufacture and manifest us begging them to help them. So this is why they do all these false flag stuff, to manufacture us allowing them to do it. You start studying all that. You're like, okay, so if they're so powerful, like they really want us to believe, and they control everything, like they really want us to believe, why haven't they shut down the internet? Why haven't they completely made it so there's no way for information to flow? Why? 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 And the truth is that for as much darkness as there, there's light out there. And the light is, the light pushes back. 
against the darkness. And that is just our reality. And I don't know, man, it makes me believe that there's a higher power out there at work. And just in my spiritual life, zeros really helped me to understand a lot of stuff that no matter how crazy it gets, these principles I've learned, I stick with them and I seem to come out okay, no matter how crazy the PSYOP or whatever they're running on us at that time. All right, friends, next up, a little bit of a change of pace. We come to one of my most popular guests to date, and that is someone who is not really popularly known, not to the extent that Sam Tripoli or some of my other guests are, but he is Father Turbo Qualls. I got such an incredible conversation, uh, conversation. I had such an incredible conversation, but I got such an incredible response about my conversation with Father Turbo Qualls. And I will just say from my own experience speaking to him, um, let's just say, look, he's a holy man and it feels like you're talking to a holy man, but I mean that in a very good way because he's very, he's also very personable, very relatable, and just a very one of my favorite conversations as well. And uh, this clip is one that has really struck home with me lately uh, where uh, Father Qualls talks about, uh, Father Turbo, I should say, Father Turbo talks about uh, a little bit of his own story and a lot of what, what his mother went through with that, which actually ended up leading to her faith and his faith as well. Uh, it's really what inspired the title of that episode, episode eight, which is Strength Through Suffering. So be sure to check that out. If you have not heard my conversation with Father Turbo Qualls, that is available by, again, heading back in this very podcast feed to episode eight, or go find the video version, like I told you, wherever you want, YouTube, Rockfin, uh, Odyssey, Pitch Shoot, et cetera, et cetera. Please enjoy this clip with Father Turbo Qualls. For me, you know, the closest thing I had was my mom, <laughs> who was who was a Christian. And, and it, this is important to understand because at this point in time, what's happened behind all this is the story of my mother and my father. Um, because my mother, around the time that I was getting into, you know, um, the occult on a real, real low level, my mom had multiple aneurysms. And she became crippled and blind. And so my dad was in this very tough place. We had, you know, my, my, we were wealthy. And my dad had to make the choice to either, you know, pay to have my mom's life saved or just let her go and then, you know, have money, you know. And the doctors told him as much. They said, look, she's probably going to be a vegetable. You, you should probably just let her go. And he decided no. And so we lost everything. My dad, we lost our house, we lost our cars. It got to a point, it was a dwindling down. We went from, you know, two-story house, pool, all that stuff. Those who might hear this, they, they'll remember that, If me and my old friends. Um, and it went from having a, this wonderful house, my dad having his own business, multiple businesses, to having a town home, to living in a rented home, to living in, you know, a, a two-bedroom apartment in a really bad, you know, motel area to them, you know, not having any place to go, literally being on the street. And I gave them my 1979 Volvo that I had. So they had a place to sleep. So I gave them my Volvo and I started couch surfing. Um, this is important because my mom, you know, was a woman of the world, you know, um, African-Americans, you know, and I'm not like all of that stuff. I'm just saying like, we were like the first black family in Garden Grove. You know, so shout out to Sublime fans. <laughs> and um, so you got to understand the pride that my dad had of being able to provide that for his family. You know what I mean? And my mom liking fine things and everything. But my mom, you know, woke up one day, had an aneurysm, you know, didn't th thought life was going to be one way. 
um, basically died. And then she woke up blind, but had an encounter with Christ. And so my mom was a completely different person from that moment on. My mom became basically like a saint. And it was in her suffering that I saw something different. It was in her suffering that the first vestiges of life were shown to me. Life beyond what you have and what you wear and the entertainments that you have. You know, I remember complaining to my dad about why do we have to leave our house? And I hate moving and packing. I was being a typical punk, not even like punk as in punk rock, but like punk kid who should have, my dad should have just rammed my teeth down my throat. My dad just looks at me. He says, you still got a mom, don't you? You know, those moments of like my heart being formed because I was like everyone else, selfish. We're selfish. We're materialistic. We're vain, shallow people. All of us. This whole culture. And it has been. And it's only in the light of suffering do you become a human being. And it was in the light of the suffering of my mother and watching my father sacrifice for real love. Real love. That's, that's really where the story begins. All the other stuff we've been talking about the last five hours, that's just all... That's just the static that began to form the real signal. The real signal was that, that witness of love that my dad gave and that my mom being in the midst of despair, can you imagine having everything and then being blind and living in the Volvo that your son gave you? Can you imagine that? But still holding on to something, what is that, right? That's the real story. You, you would you would think that would make you a a miserable person, you know, who's always angry. Or <laughs> you wouldn't think you would come out of that as a completely, you know, a, a more more positive person with a completely different vision of the world. And that's why, when I needed to turn to the darkness, I needed to find God. I, I turned to my mom, not because some people are like, well, yeah, of course you're raised that way. No, 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 you don't understand. If my mom had still been that superficial, vain, fake Christian that most people are. I wouldn't have turned to that, right? There was something imperceptible to me, something deep that I, I knew. I knew that who I knew that who she had, who she was pursuing, like there was something there. So that's that's how I began. And then from there, the key thing was like I didn't know anything about like oh denominations or this or that. I just knew that Christ was real. I didn't know really who, who he was. I just knew that he was real and that I was going to pursue him. And that's, that's essentially how I became orthodox is that pursuit of more and more like, okay, who are you really? Not, not who do people say you are? Not all this baloney that I see, like, who are you really? And that's the thing is, if you really are pursuing Christ, you'll find him. All right, and again, that was a clip from my conversation with Father Turbo Qualls from episode eight of The Mark Claire Show. You can also find him on the Royal Path podcast on YouTube and Spotify as well. Uh, next up, I've got a clip from a guest that is one person that popped into my mind with before I'd ever reached out to him, popped up into my mind early on as someone that I wanted to have on the show. He was someone who, whose books I had read uh, when I was in my 20s, really enjoyed them, thought they were hilarious and what have you, but had recently seen that he was a, a much different person than he was at that time. And that, of course, is Tucker Max, the author of uh, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell and another a, n- a number of other books 
books that were largely about uh, just partying, getting drunk stories, banging chicks, that kind of thing. Uh, but really funny stuff. But now he is married, has children, and uh, is a shepherd, as uh, uh, people who heard that interview know. So I, he actually tweeted something, and I tweeted that uh, something about how the old Tucker, I enjoyed the old Tucker, but the new Tucker is even better. And he replied, you know, uh, I agree. So I had his attention. And in that very moment, I said, okay, this is the time to slide into the DMs. And his DMs were, in fact, open. I jumped in those DMs. Book Tucker Max. He immediately agreed to come on the show. Couldn't believe it. Uh, so I was totally excited. And just another great guy who's a, a totally great guy, as, as you'll hear from uh, some other people that are very well known that I've spoken to. Uh, I'm always pleasantly, I shouldn't say surprised, because if they agree to come on my small show, then they probably don't have that big of a head or an ego. But uh, let's see. It's, it's nice to see that they are, in fact, really relatable, really, uh, really chill people. So that was certainly the case with Tucker Max. Uh, enjoy this little snippet where he talks about a bit about his own transformation. So I, always, I, I wrote about this in one of my books. I can't remember which one or what story, but I wrote about how there's like kind of two kinds of party guys. There's the Coke and hookers guys. And then there's the beer, uh, cold beer and hot girls guys. Mm. And I always, I was always a hot, cold beer and hot girls guy. Like I, I never use Coke. I like, I've never been to a prostitute. I mean, not a paid prostitute. I've hooked up with girls who turned out to be escorts or other sorts of <laughs> service workers, but uh, I wasn't going to them as a client. Um, and, uh, um, like my whole argument was basically boiled down to that. Like one's very dark and one one's, you know, much, much lighter. Mm. Right. Uh, like I think both have their issues. One is like a natural part of, a maybe a somewhat healthy growth process, whereas the other can lead you to a, a very, a, a darker path. Right. Exactly. And, and, and it's very, just, the Coke and hookers guys tend to be very, at least intentionally destructive mm. The you know, the cold beer and hot guy, uh, hot girls guys, um, uh, uh, are not usually at least intentionally destructive. Right. And that was me, man. Like I always party partying and, and, and all this stuff was done. It was fun for me. Like I did it from a place of fun and enjoyment and yeah, dude, I had issues and yeah, dude, I had like problems and yeah, there were things I was running from and all of that. It was there, but like it was, it, it was not like, you know, it's like the, like Van Halen versus Kurt Cobain, right? Like I was Van Halen. Not Kurt Cobain, right? Mm. And not not that right, one's right or wrong or good or bad. It's just uh, my my outlook on this was very happy and positive and uplifting. And on, quite honestly, man, uh, I I once it started to get dark, and it always does eventually. Then I was like, oh, hold on, this is not the path I want to walk. Like this is not who I want to be. Like, uh, uh, you know, people are like, I always ask questions like you ask. I'm like, no, like I had a great time with a lot of it. And, I, and I'm really happy I did a lot of it. Um, there's definitely a, a few specific actions I regret or I should never have messed up or whatever. But for the most part, it was super fun. A few extra shots here and there or something. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. For the most part, though, it was super fun. Um, uh, but like, look. I, there, I was definitely running from stuff and I was, I was avoiding stuff. And, and I mean, I'd spent longer in the party life than I probably would have otherwise, except like sure. it became my job. Right. Right. You know, I need more stories. Um, so then, I gotta go, I gotta go party some more. Right. I, I, right exactly. And, and, the, and then, but then also that's part, part of why I retired at the end of my third book or fourth book. Cause like, I didn't want to do this anymore. And I didn't want to pretend like I liked it anymore. You know, like I could have traveled the world and gone to Thailand and, Ukraine back before whatever and all these places where like all the the dirty disgusting expats would go and do horrible things and I could have written a ton of funny stories about that and I could have gone for years like that 
but I was like, nah, like, like I, I just realized I, it was, it wasn't fun anymore, you know? And at some point it, it's, it's, it wouldn't be cool anymore. I mean, it, not just for you, but if you're the 50 year old guy doing these in these same stories, suddenly a lot of them t- just, they seem sad more than, more than fun. Yeah, but- no, it, it, that's true. But there's plenty of people who are the same dude at 50 as they were at 20. Snoop Dogg is a really good example. Like he's nearly the exact same dude at 50 as he was at 20. Not the same as me. I get, but there's plenty of people who stay stuck where they are. Right. And they make it work for them. I'm not saying it's you know necessarily the most positive thing, but they do. Um, I could have gone down that path. I was close to it. But then I was like, man, fuck. That. I don't want I. It's not even that it's uncool. It's that it's just like. It's it's just like I loved playing with G.I. Joe's when I was 12. Doing that at 22 just wouldn't make sense. Right. Same thing with like drinking and hooking up with. 24 year old girls. That's awesome at 30. At 40, eh, I don't know. And at 50, no way. The, yeah, and the GI Joes, you know, those, those, an afternoon with playing with your toys at 12 can really fulfill you. You can really feel like I did something awesome here. Same thing in your 20s right. with drinking. But, you know, at some point when you're 25, looking at the GI Joes, you're like, this, I'm not getting anything out of this. So maybe it's a similar thing, sort of, you know, with the, with, yeah. I, I call it degeneracy because when I say that, I'm just talking about, I'm, I really use it more as a way to describe the time when I didn't take life that seriously, when I didn't take having a relationship yeah. seriously, when I didn't take, take having a family seriously. So that's kind of a, a broad term. Uh, I think you're, you're breaking down of those two types of people is, is a good distinction there for sure. Um, so you kind of mentioned a minute ago, like you, you saw how it could have gone down a dark path, and that's when you decide to sort of retire from, from that end of things. So can you sort of detail that, whether it was a moment in time or just sort of a general direction you saw where things could have gone? What was it that made you say, all right, I'm this was a part of my life. This got me this fame, success, whatever it may be. It certainly put me in a better position, but it's time to take a different direction. Um, man, there wasn't one moment. I like, I wish I could be like, ah, there's one moment the, there were a couple different moments. I can remember a couple girls that I kind of hooked up with or quasi dated that like, um, were into really dark stuff. And like, I, like, I like to hook up with a lot of girls, but I wasn't into like, you know, whatever, abusing them or beating them or rape fantasies or, I mean, like, if a girl liked that, okay, cool, but, like, not really my thing. Um, But, like, I I came across some girls who came to me and, for whatever reason, they had that expectation of me. And then, like, even dabbling in that a little bit, I was like, whoa, this is, like, this is a rabbit hole I don't want to go into. It's not a rabbit hole. (laughs) This is is some other animal made this hole. And I want to stay out of this. <laughs> yeah, a rabbit's it's way too innocent to create <laughs> right. that hole. And so, like, uh, there were definitely a few women where I was like, okay. At first, I was like, ah, crazy girls. Oh, look at. But then after a while, it's like, hold on a minute. Like, when two or three or even four of them, you know, over a short or relatively short year, year and a half period of time, come... Mm, not the girls. Does it make you think, like, yeah, why, why am I the one? Why There's am I reason- attracting these now? Yeah, there's a reason they're coming to you, right? Uh, and you may not want to realize that or accept that or believe it, but there's a reason they're coming to you. And um, uh, so, like, I had to really kind of step back and then really ask myself, is this what I want? Like, do I want to be with girls who want to be abused, essentially? Like, who want to? Like, they're coming to me for this. God, I mean, this one girl, I remember, she was upset that I didn't treat her worse. And I mean, like, in all ways. Like... <laughs> and I, it's not like I was treating her well, right? right? Like, it's not like this is like, I was, you know, I, I'm not a white knight, man. I was not playing that game. 
And uh, uh, I, I definitely was not treating her well, I thought. And she's like, you treat me so so much better than I thought you should. I was like, what? Like, so I was like, okay. Um, and I was like, eh, this, is not, this is not the person. I, I don't want to be the person I'm going to have to be to be with these types of, of women in a relationship. Um, this is not a path I want to go down. And I'm not like shitting on those girls or whatever. They've got their shit. That's fine. I don't care. Um, it, it's, it was about me. Right. And, and so then I had to kind of, and then also, man, I just didn't want to keep going out, drinking, hooking up at some point. It's tired. Like you could never have convinced 19 year old Tucker that he would have gotten tired of hooking up with random girls. But 32 year old Tucker was fucking tired of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was like, okay, enough, man. Like, uh, uh, which seems breathtaking to me. Um, uh, but I really got very sick of it. And then all of it, dude, like drinking got boring, partying got boring. It was the same things over and over after a while. And it was like, all right, well, this is not, this is, a, it was a cool phase, but this is not going to be the rest of my life. So what do I want to do now? How do I want to show up? And I had to really could do a lot of soul searching, man, and realize, yeah, like this is not, if this isn't going to be, if this isn't who I'm going to be, who am I going to be? You know? Right, right. If you're going to replace this Tucker, uh, this wild and crazy party Tucker, it has to be replaced with something. So that must have led you down, you know, I guess a little process of uh, introspection or what have you. Yeah, I mean, like the once I, I like I fixed everything in my life, right? Like I got an amazing shape. Finances were dialed. You know, I was already rich and famous. Like everything was perfect. And I was still like still pretty lonely and sad and unhappy in, in most ways, much better than I was, but like, it's like, you know, I, it was, it was a clean toilet, but still a toilet. Right. And it's like, all right, well, so then eventually I had to realize, well, if the problem's not outside of me, there's only one place left. It's gotta be inside. All right. Again, that was a clip from my conversation with Tucker Max from episode 11 of this podcast. And don't forget, by the way, all of these conversations, yes, you can go hear them, but you can hear even more because every single conversation, there's an extra 30 minutes at least of each one available for you. If you are just a member of the Mark Claire show premium, wherever you want to be, you can do it on Patreon, patreon.com slash Mark Claire show. You can do it on subscribe star. You can do it on Rockfin. You can find all the links over at markclair.com, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. As you can see, I've put a tremendous amount of work and effort into producing these interviews, into booking these guests, into going out of my way to make sure you have a quality experience every single Monday. So if you appreciate the work I put into it and you want to check out the 50% more work that I've put into it available for each of these interviews, you can go back. You get 44 extra interviews and every month an episode of Mark's monthly musings and some other random bonus content here and there. Uh, all of that you can be found again by joining the Mark Claire Show Premium. You can find your favorite link, whatever your favorite platform is, over at Mark Claire M A R C C L A I R dot com. With that being said, next up, another interview that got a great response: my conversation with Rachel Wilson about her book that details the connections between the occult and the modern feminist movement or really the entire feminist movement really go she goes pretty far back uh, in history here with this one but uh this conversation got a great response in this clip we get into a little bit about the connections between feminism witchcraft 
Satanism, the occult, it is wild stuff. Enjoy this clip from episode 13 with Rachel Wilson. I want to um, hone in on the the witchcraft aspect of this a bit because I think it's something that it seems like it's something that a lot of women, especially in in recent years, um, have gotten more involved with, oftentimes not even necessarily being conscious that that's what they're involved in. Sometimes it's as simple as a crystal or a necklace with certain symbols on it that are just fashionable or what have you, or tattoos that are fashionable in some way. But but the more you see it, and I'm sure you discovered this, the more you look into it, the more you see it, the more you start to see it everywhere. The more you can't notice that almost every like strong independent woman is wearing or has some kind of tattoo or earring or something that with some kind of a cult symbol. So once your eyes are open to it, it's it's absolutely everywhere. So maybe you can get more into, I mean, I know the origins go, well, it depends on, on your perspective. Cause what what they'll really say is, Oh, this is an, an ancient religion. This goes back to our roots or what have you. But, um, you know, the, the, as you detail in the book, the, the modern origins of witchcraft are, are not quite so, um, so ancient in, in some ways. Right. So like the rebellious spirit of feminism is ancient and it does go all the way back to like the earliest civilizations we can trace. And I kind of go over that in the beginning, but the modern version, <laughs> it's, I'm going to try to be really fair and not make fun of all of the TikTok witches out there. Okay. I'm going to try to be very charitable. <laughs> That's one area them. I at least like, I can say I haven't, I haven't <sighs> been exposed to yet. Or- yeah. If people don't know, go on, to, go on TikTok and just search any of the hashtags like, witchcraft, goddess worship, um, white witch, green witch, anything like that. And you will find some of the most bizarre and sometimes hilarious videos of women doing insane things like watering their house plants with their menstrual cycle stuff. Hmm. Um, And, you know, teaching you how to uh, use crystals to uh, gratify yourself so that your so that your spells and your manifestations are more powerful. Um, And it's it's pushed as like this cute aesthetic, too. Right. It's like (laughs) suddenly you see like Kabbalah trees everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you see, uh, like you said, a lot of occult symbolism, things that you and I or other people might know, like, oh, yeah, that's an all seeing eye or that's, a, you know, you're those are a bunch of runes and you don't know what they really mean. But these younger girls, they all they know is they go to the mall and it's like on all the clothes and it's in all the jewelry and whatever at the mall and and it's cute. And I love the witchy aesthetic. And right. a lot of girls really think of it more as like, no, I just really love plants and animals. Like I love nature and I like rocks and crystals and I love incense. And, you know, it's just like, a, like I see girls like, oh, I'm, I'm sensing myself to protect myself from bad energy. You know, like this kind of stuff is really popular. It's become very new age. It's very mixed in with new age. And it really comes more out of like the Gardnerian Wicca, which is not very old. I do do a little bit of a talk on Gerald Gardner in the book because he was basically, and this is another really common thing. You find some pervy person who wants to do pervy stuff. (laughs) It's not accepted in like proper Christian culture, right? So we form a religion around it. And then we use the religious freedom basis to say, well, you can't tell me I can't have a nudist colony or, or, or abortions or, you know, my whatever satanic rituals I'm doing, uh, because freedom of religion. So, um, Gardner was just kind of this pervy old nudist and he kept getting in trouble for trying to have like nudist parties in in the, in England at the time. And so he said, well, I'm going to start a religion. And he 
made Wicca, which is kind of, it really doesn't have a tradition, right? It's like these people think they're going back to some ancient pagan tradition, but Gardnerian Wicca is very modern. It doesn't really have any strong roots to the past at all. It really just comes out of kind of new agey, uh, self-worship kind of stuff, right? Like I, I do what I want and I project my will. A lot of this stuff comes out of Crowley too. So like the modern witchcraft stuff is very deeply rooted in all of Aleister Crowley and theosophy. And I go over a lot of that too, because that's what the suffragettes were really into was like theosophy. Um, most of them followed some type of theosophy or theosophical tradition. So that for people who don't know is like, yet another kind of scammy reincarnation of like, oh, we're going to take Eastern mysticism and we're going to mix it with some kind of Western esoteric tradition that we're going to invent. And we're going to mix it with um, a lot of like projecting our will and, and um, ritual magic and things like that. And we're going to take a little bit of what we like from all the world religions and smush it all together. And then, it's like a DIY cult thing. So a lot of Crowley's okay. followers went off and pick your own, and pick a few symbols from here, pick some goddesses mm-hmm. and goddesses here and, you know, a ceremony yeah, or two and you exactly got your religion. What it is. That's great. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And that's why a lot of them, like Crowley was a notorious scam artist. He was an intelligence, uh, you know, he was an intelligence for at least probably two different intelligence agencies, maybe more. That's the crazy thing about all this stuff. Like when you start looking into it, you, you know, whether you start with the political or the spiritual, at some point you realize it is, it's all, it doesn't just overlap. I mean, it's, it's entirely intertwined. Yes. It's totally intertwined. You're exactly right. And um, the founder of Theosophy, uh, Helena Blavatsky, same thing, likely intelligence asset, very scammy, uh, lots of, lots of shady stuff going on with her, even with the the people she was involved with and lots of like infighting over who's going to be the most powerful cult because there was money and influence and things like that involved. So these are not like uh, people like to point to, you know, the Roman Catholic church, for example, and say, Oh, it's corrupt. And it's like, these things are no less corrupt at all. In fact, you could argue that they're more corrupt, but I think that, that the draw for women now these younger women to witchcraft and goddess worship, you see it all the time in music, in movies. So like Beyonce, right? Who's more popular than Beyonce in the last 25 years for, for women as an influence? She's the ultimate boss, babe. She's the maybe, ultimate Maybe Taylor Swift woman. can compete, but applies. It applies yeah, there yes. as well. So Yeah, so it's like, uh, and all the Hollywood actresses, all the Hollywood actresses are extremely feminist, very strong woman stuff. And um, again, Beyonce, very into some occulty Crowleyan type of uh, belief systems and things like that. She's not super, super out there about it, but she'll she'll flash the symbolism and things like that. Her Super Bowl performance was absolutely chock full of occult symbolism. What are some of the um, occult symbols for people that aren't psychos like, like me that have been like watching videos about this stuff for 20 years? Um, what are some of the, the common symbols that people might spot in pop culture that they might not have thought of before that now maybe after listening to this, they might see, oh, oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's why I say that everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, the all seeing eye is probably the most obvious one. You'll see them covering one eye all the time or putting a triangle or this around the eye. That's usually a reference. Um, a lot of times you'll see a triangle either this way or this way. I mean, that's Jay-Z um, too. Jay-Z is always doing that. Yeah, always time. doing that. 
Um, even Andrew Tate, I noticed who like a lot of people on the right are falling for him. And I'm like, beware because there's a lot of red flags with that guy too. Um, but you'll just, you'll see that sort of stuff a lot. Another one that is really common among the feminist goddess worship crowd that most people don't catch is the tongue, the sticking out of the tongue. Hmm. Um, Miley Cyrus, you see her do that all the time. Cardi B all the time, Beyonce all the time. And I didn't even know like earlier before I started researching for my book, why they always did that. I just thought they were kind of trying to be gross <laughs> or shocking, you know, like trying to be like, it's some kind of like sexual thing. And it is, but it actually comes from the ancient Hindu goddess Kali who always had her tongue out. And, um, in the book, I think you were kind of referencing, I have a picture of the very first cover of Ms. Magazine, yeah, which yeah. featured Kali, which is really weird. Like in you're thinking, not so okay, subtle way either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, I mean, it was right in your face, but this was the very first issue of the first feminist magazine in America that came out in like the early 70s. And it was marketed to housewives. Now think about your typical suburban American housewife in the early 70s. Why would you put a Hindu goddess on the cover? That seems weird. She's got like six arms and she's blue. And it's like, that's weird until you know why, right? So I explained the reason why is because Kali is, she is a favorite of feminists because she embodies the wrathful, like vengeful female goddess archetype. She wears um, severed, heads of men and severed men's arms around her as a necklace and a belt. She has um, aborted infants for earrings. <laughs> she's She is bloodthirsty. Like she's a goddess of war and sexuality, which is another theme you find all the time in goddess mm -hmm. worship. The feminist stuff is, it's always sex and death, always interconnected together, these goddesses. <laughs> All right, again, that is a clip from episode 13, quite appropriate discussing the occult episode 13 with Rachel Wilson. I don't believe I planned that, but uh, go ahead and check that one out. We had a crazy smoke-filled room with that one with uh, Rachel Wilson there. So be sure again to join Mark Claire Show Premium on Patreon, Subscribestar, or Rockfin. Next up, I've got a clip from one of my most popular conversations of all time, one of my most popular guests of all time on any platform, on uh, any format. This guest appeared on Lions of Liberty. This guest on, appeared on my other current podcast, the Second Print Comics podcast, discussing the occult origins of superheroes. This one was with Chris Knowles discussing uh, the Super Bowl halftime rituals, specifically this past year's uh, Super Bowl halftime with Rihanna. He came on to break that down. It's kind of our, our yearly tradition now. We did one on the Lions of Liberty two years ago, and we did one this past year uh, on the Mark Claire show. So we'll, we're probably going to make that one an annual tradition. One of my most popular guests. Everyone loves it. Listen to this clip with Chris Knowles, where he talks about the new religion based around what he calls the Watchers. Maybe you could dig into a, a little bit more. You mentioned a few times this this sort of new religion. Maybe you can dig into more about what is actually behind that. Who are the people behind it? Is it something they are trying to impose just for sort of a normal material measures of control? Or do they actually believe in the religion themselves? Do they actually believe in the power of the symbology that they're putting out there? I, I think a lot of them are true believers. Um, you don't go to that kind of time, effort, and expects, expense to... Um, pull off a hoax 
you know, you don't build all these buildings with all the symbolism and all these alignments or put up all these demonic statues. I mean, that's something that I've been looking at recently as well because of this whole bizarre she demon that they put mm-hmm. up. Oh, yeah. In the Madison one in New Square. York. Yeah. yeah in, in Manhattan, which is actually two she demons, right? Um, I, I think it's sort of a melange. I think there are a lot, you know, there are a lot of different interest groups. There are a lot of different belief systems at work. Uh, I, you know, I think there is, a, there is some degree of cynicism at play here. Just people who just, you know, they just want to control everyone and whatever gets them from point A to point B is, is fine by them. But I, I think a lot of his true believers, and I think a lot of it is based on what, you know, what I call watch or worship which is uh, a belief system that sort of came up in the 19th century and was very much promoted by a woman named Alice Bailey, who had a, um, who, or it still exists, an organization that for some reason has, you know, a tremendous amount of money and other resources available and has people like Bill and Melinda Gates giving them all this money and all these different corporations and banks and so on. Um, you know, if you've ever been to one of their little meetings, you're like, what, why, what's going on here? Um, but if you look at Alice Bailey's writings, um, she's very extremely, I mean, shockingly explicit about worshiping the watcher angels. I don't know if all your listeners would be familiar with that, but that's this whole, this lore that arose out of the book of Enoch, mm-hmm. uh, first Enoch. It has come up other, before. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a book in it called, you know, there's a sub book or, you know, a subtext in it called, um, book of the watchers, but there's also, uh, this book of the giants and book of Jubilees mm-hmm. and so on. There's all these sort of extra canonical Jewish apocalyptic texts that talk about that sort of expand on the idea of the giants you know, the Nephilim and uh, the Watcher Angels that sort of, you know, gets glancing mentions in the Old Testament and is very much expanded upon. I mean, none of these books were considered canonical either by uh, Jewish or Christian authorities, even though they were very popular. I mean, there are quotes from Enoch in in the New Testament, for instance. Um, But there's this whole idea that there was a war in heaven, and there was sort of it was a civil war between the the angels who fell or the angels who came to earth and the angels in heaven, right? But the way Bailey and her cult, with all their resources and real estate and all the rest of it, frame it is that the you know the watchers were actually the good guys. It's mm-hmm. all a big mis- misunderstanding. I mean, Enoch had it wrong. You know, it's like these these angels were assigned by God to, you know, basically sacrifice themselves to come down, you know, to leave their, their perches in, in heaven and paradise, come down to earth so they can bring heavenly enlightenment to the human race. And then there was a, a battle between, you know, the watcher angels, the, you know, the fallen angels and the angels of the heavenly, you know, the celestial court, because they were jealous that, you know, God didn't choose them. I and mean, it's, it's like all like, again, it's this whole idea of inversion, right? And, you know, Bailey's whole idea is that, you know, the Watchers are in prison now, but they're going to break out of the prison and they're going to bring, you know, that's who's going to bring in the new age. The new age will be brought by these, 
you know, these watchers. Um, so it's, it's about essentially returning, returning the old gods, essentially bringing these sort of ancient mythical beings into, into the modern age. Well, see, that's how a lot of scholars, a lot of scholars have seen. So what we had is that we had what was, you know, the Assyrian and the Neo-Assyrian empire, but, you know, so there's just to give people a little bit of background here. So, um, Mesopotamia between the Tigris and the Euphrates has always been like, it was basically like musical chairs, right? So it started off with the Sumerians were kind of ruling the Rus and they were sort of displaced by the, the Akkadians. And then you had the Amorites and the Elamites and all these people sort of just storming back and forth through this, you know, this rich fertile area between these two rivers. And but around the time that a lot of the books of the Bible were written, you know, the people who were sitting atop the perch were the ne- I think the Neo-Assyrians, right? And they were absolutely the most brutal people that you could possibly imagine. You know, they were just real cruel and and relentless. You know, um, they were they were eventually displaced by um, by Cyrus. You know, the, the Persian Empire, but um, they were pretty they were pretty awful so but they were also very technically advanced like they were they were incredible engineers they built these incredible weapons of war and so on so the the thing is uh, among scholars that these books about that talk about the watchers and the nephilim and so on in greater detail than you see in the bible are working on what they saw with the neo-syrians because the neo-syrians were very technically advanced. And then they also worshiped these sort of like what are called Shedu and so on, these sort of winged beings um, that are seen as the, um, and the Apkalo, and are seen as the um, progenitors of, of the Watchers in this whole mythology. But if you read the Book of Enoch, you know, the Watchers come down and they, they give people all this technology. So technology is a huge part of it, right? But it all leads to war. It all leads to just massive war. And, you know, the people cry out to heaven, you know, save us from this, this horrible, vicious reign of blood and death, you know, that the watchers have brought upon the earth. And, and that's the reason, that's actually the reason that the watchers are imprisoned. It isn't just because, you know, they're banging hot earth babes, you know, it's because, <laughs> you know, they're, uh, they just bring carnage and destruction to the, to the, to the world. So, the technological aspects of this, I, when all this stuff is kind of revived, you know, as early as I can trace back, like the Watcher cults, but also the Mithraic cults, which I've talked, I don't know if I talked about them on your Yeah, program. we did talk about that back on Lions of Liberty last year. Yeah, but so Mithras is essentially Perseus, right? Perseus. Um, you know, Mithras is Persian, Perseus. It, it's basically the same figure. And if you know the, the myths of Perseus, Perseus is given it's almost kind of the same situation with the watchers where Mithras is given basically high technology from the gods, you know, the, the wing sandals and the, sh- the sword and the shield and the helmet and so on. These magical, super powered, technologically advanced uh, weapons to defeat the Gorgons and so on. Medusa being, you know, the most well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this was very appealing to like these Masonic groups and these other occult groups in the 19th century, this whole idea of like a technocratic religion almost, right? And I think that, that there's a, a very heavy element of that in what I call the watcher cults, right? 
And then if you look at the Super Bowl half times, you know, um, NFL, Nephilim, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Same man, difference, yeah, right? Man, I, that one never hit me before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, Nephilim comes from to fall, the Hebrew or the Semitic to fall. Nephilim, wow. Yeah, and, and it's and NFL, basically. <laughs> NFL is the, you know, where, where Nephilim comes from. And of course, we have the Titans and the, and the Giants and all these uh, teams, right? Man, that one still gets me to this day. I, I think about that all the time. NFL, Nephilim, NFL, Nephilim. Every time I see it there, and I can't see NFL without thinking Nephilim now. Thank you, Chris Knowles. Thanks to you, Chris Knowles. But again, one of my most popular conversations, that's episode 17 my conversation with Chris Knowles. Be sure to check that out. Got one more clip left. I couldn't leave this one off because it's still surreal to me that I had a 90-minute conversation with a guy that I saw on Saturday Night Live, a guy that I saw in the movie Half-Baked, a guy that I saw do stand-up recently here uh, in Tampa, Florida. That is great comedian Jim Brewer. Uh, He kind of came back on my radar when I saw that he was refusing to do shows at any venues that required the coovy-woovy, stabby-wabby. And I was really impressed by that. Then I saw that he had a new podcast and he was getting into a lot of different areas, including a lot of spiritual topics and whatnot. So it seemed like a perfect time to reach out. And thankfully, uh, I was able to get that connection to Jim Brewer from a supporter of the show, The Great Magoo, Magoo, you are the man. Uh, thank you again for hooking me up with Jim Brewer. Had an awesome conversation, and I think you are going to enjoy this snippet, and you're going to enjoy the whole darn thing. So if you haven't heard it, as soon as you hear this clip, head on over, or you can do, a, do it. I guess you can skip the clip. I guess you'll hear it again. <laughs> it's up to you. I leave it up to you. But please do check out this conversation from episode 25 of The Mark Claire Show with the great Jim Brewer. I remember years ago, I've done, I remember doing a Mushrooms um, in the, there was, there was, there was mushrooms in public sucks, sucks, not made for that. Did it and was in nature night and day. And mm-hmm. what I, but I was never, you know, the, the thing with mushrooms too, is I wasn't addicted. I didn't feel like I had to do this again. It was like, Oh, wow, I just saw a whole different layer of consciousness and what it was. And I tell people, I can't describe it, but I will tell you. So I remember, you know, we were at a bachelor party of all things. So we're in the woods, we're all camping. Beautiful day and I'm walking, I sit down. It was like Alice in Wonderland. I started looking at flowers, wildflowers, and the colors. I could see the life of the colors. I can... I, it, it, I started to understand natives, Native American tribes, how they would say we're all connected in the spirits. I can feel and see the, the consciousness and spirit of the grass, of a tree, of a flower, of everything. And then while I was doing that, I sat down in the grass and I just kept staring. I'll never forget this. You know how like a dragonfly just, when you see a dragonfly, they're very erratic and they move quick and they do this. Well, this freaking dragonfly, I'm sure in real time was doing this, right. but he, it, what I saw was him just like this. <laughs> and he was, 
he was just completely checking me out, trying to intense f- eye contact from a dragonfly. It was nuts, <laughs> though. And then he landed like on my, I was sitting Indian style, and he landed on my knee, and he was just looking at me. <laughs> and I went, and I'm like, oh my god, I totally, I, I can feel your thought process i can i can this is amazing this is like the greatest film i've ever watched in my life so what i took away from that was um maybe there is something a lot deeper that we don't understand you know i had a friend this guy joe sib i bring him on the tour with me and and years ago and he knows me now like everywhere i go everywhere i go he's like you go on your hike yet did you go for your walk yet? I'm always on a walk. I'm always on a hike, no matter where we are. And I came back like, Joe, I saw this thing with a hawk and blah, blah, blah. And he started telling me how his wife and his business partner sent him away. And he was having troubles with his eye. He thought he, thought he was having a stroke and all that. And he was tense and blah, blah. So he sends him away. And long story short, it was a spiritual um, retreat. He thought he was getting massages and <laughs> hot tub and all this. You're jazz. doing three hours of hot yoga, pal. Right. It's going to be amazing. So that's what he thought he was walking into. And what he actually, every day they gave him an assignment to meet a spiritual human being. One of them was a Native American. Uh, and, and, and they went on this hike. And I don't want to botch it up from, but at the end of the day, like he found through this Indian, a whole different layer of, of our soul, our consciousness and how disconnected we are. And to this day, you know, and the Indian taught him, listen, man, just, just, just touch a tree. Remember when you were a kid and you would sit under a tree and touch a tree and climb the tree. And why would you do that? Did you just want to be hired? Did you leave? You ever take a leaf and you look and you, um, because you're, you people, meaning us are so disconnected from the earth, from the earth's energy, from the earth's power. Um, all of you are. Um, and, to this day, his story is because uh, he's such the opposite. He's like, dude, bro, you know, LA, we're going to move you. Know, right? um, to this day, like, we'll, we'll be on the road and we'll walk around and, and like, what are you doing? He's like, I just want to just touch this tree. But, <laughs> um, but I think getting back to that is very important. I don't know how to because they get everyone addicted to worse than heroin into this matrix how to be a billionaire how to be a millionaire be the best or be all you can be rather than let's be all we can be let me try to help you you help me let me try to, oh my god this one's done let's help this family let's, uh, that's been ripped apart and torn to pieces and you brought up something earlier about twitter you know you're on twitter mm-hmm. all of media all of media, no matter who your favorite media, to all of it, social media, anything media, their one job, very well-planned agenda, very well, like years in the making, is to control your consciousness, your energy, and your decision-making. And it's doing a damn good job. 
Alrighty, again, that was a snippet from my conversation from episode 25 of the Mark Claire Show with Jim Brewer. Hopefully, for some of those newer ones, newer listeners of you, I exposed you to some conversations you didn't know that I had had or didn't weren't aware of and can now go back and check out those complete episodes. Uh, if you've been here th- for the beginning and you stayed through this whole best of episode, you must be a real, true freaking fan. And I thank you too. Uh, but I assure you, brand new Mark Claire show content is indeed on the way. I'm getting back on the saddle. All is well. All is good. Uh, but I guess this is kind of, even though it hasn't been a full year, I'm going to look at this episode as kind of a, a summary of, of the first year of the Mark Claire show. We got into a lot of different directions, but at least in my mind, and hopefully you see it here too, even as I've recently gone more into politics and history and this sort of thing, or, or hidden history, um, that there are connecting threads through all of this. And s- sometimes they're more obvious than others. Sometimes it's a stronger connection than others. Uh, but I, I like to think that I can look for episode one and kind of find common threads throughout the whole episode. And I don't think I need to spell all of it out for you, but the wise ones of you that are catching those connections, seeing these threads and sticking around for it. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate all your support. I appreciate you all sticking around, listening to this show, downloading this show, sharing this show, especially over what's been a rough couple of weeks for me, but I am coming back at you and patrons. If you want to hear all about it, if you want to hear all about it, there's no better time now to join the Mark Claire show premium. You can join on Patreon, on Subscribestar, on Rockfin. All those links can be found over at Mark Claire, M-A-R-C. C-L-A-I-R.com. If you haven't joined yet, guess what? Got like 44 episodes with bonus content with a full 30 minutes. There's hours now as a content bad. In fact, you can get yourself a free trial for a week by using subscribe star. So if you wanted, you could go subscribe, spend a week listening to every bonus episode, all 40, uh, all 44, uh, extra segments with the guests, all of that content. And you could cancel. And I would, well, I wouldn't say I'd be none the wiser. I won't know your name. You don't have to show me your name. I will be the wiser, but uh, I won't hold it against you because I just told you to do it. So that that's my offer to you right now. That's my free way to check out the entire bonus uh, archive of this program. Head over to the subscribe star link over at markclair.com. Uh, nonetheless, anybody that's been with me on this here, here it is, Buck, on this journey. I do appreciate it until next week. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> <laughs>